Hi, I'm Michaela, a psychotherapist. Hi, I'm Savannah, not a psychotherapist. Welcome to our podcast, Be You, Find Happy. Real life conversations about life and the pursuit of happiness. Hello, welcome back to the Be You, Find Happy podcast. I am solo casting again this week, but I have some crazy adventure stories to share with you guys about this past weekend. And if you follow me on Instagram, you might've seen a little bit about this, but, and I, I almost have to like catch my breath because I'm still so anxious about it. And what's interesting is that, um, it's one of those things where when you have a perceived threat or a perceived life or death experience, you know, it takes a little while for your body to like reset back to normal. At least it does for me, um, depending on the situation, depending on the threat. But to tell you this story, which today's episode is all about fear. (laughs) And I know we did an episode on fear, but this is, I'm going to talk fear in a slightly different way in this episode. And I'm going to share with you guys, um, you know, what I consider to be a relatively rational fear that um, results in relatively irrational uh, thought processes for me. So um, often when we have a uh, frightening situation, um, our fears are rooted in our, not often, always, our fears are rooted in our limbic system. Uh, They're there for the purpose of human survival. We've talked about this before. So, um, the idea is that we store all of these micro pieces of information in our brain so that the next time we are in a situation that has similar components, we can immediately go into a fight or flights or freeze scenario where we are protecting our human life. And what happens a lot of times, um, is that people will have fears of abandonment or fears that are more uh, related to relationship situations and things like that. And then, of course, there's all the fears about um, spiders and heights and, and these sorts of different things. Um, and what our brain has done, if we were to picture it like an onion and peel back all of the different layers, we would get to the center core with the initial event that happened that our brain stored all the little microdata. And that event is then what we tap into moving forward in our life. So we're always grabbing from that place um, or that experience. And that is the narrative that um, our mind uses to then protect ourselves moving forward. So if you have a fear of abandonment, there could have been a situation in your childhood, perhaps even as an infant, and um, you felt the threat of being abandoned, which would then result in perhaps your mind saying you won't have food, you won't have love, you won't be cared for. Therefore, we need to store all this information. And anytime you start to feel that you're being abandoned, I'm going to throw you into this irrational space of self-preservation. So that's kind of like the backstory about how the functioning works. But let me tell you guys what happened eight years ago. And actually, I really need to back up and start back in high school. So where we live in gold country um, is uh, called the divide. And it's called the divide because on either side, it is separated by 
water. It's separated by the American River, big canyons, the middle fork of the American River and the south fork of the American River. Um, create the divide. So therefore, really the only way to get to the divide, you have to cross a bridge. Notably, you have to cross the American River. There is one other way to get to our town, and that is to take a an off-road four-wheel drive trail uh, through Desolation Wilderness from Tahoe, from Lake Tahoe to our town. But that <laughs> is just not a reasonable method of transportation. So um, you know, to leave the divide, you cross the river. That's how it is. And when I grew up, um, you know, my parents, when we first moved on the divide, made it very clear that the river is deadly. Like you're not to go recreate at the river. You're not to enjoy the river um, without keeping a safe distance from it. That was kind of, that was kind of the um, tactic that my parents took. And I grew up really having a very great fear of the river. Um, and to compound that fear, I also have had numerous friends and, and people who aren't friends, but every year, um, perish in the river. So every year, usually multiple people perish in the American river. And over the course of my lifetime, um, I've lost many friends in the American river. So it is, um, it is not a lazy river. So to describe the American, you know, people come from very far away to raft the American River. It's um, got the the class five, like meat grinder and troublemaker and all the world renowned like rapids that you might hear about if you're into that kind of thing. And um, there's also parts of the river that are a little bit more mild or mellow that, you know, people like to kayak in and tube in. And um, even there's parts of the river where you could sit close to the river bank and not be sucked away by the current. But for the most part, the American River is a very cold river. It is snowmelt and it's granite boulders and a lot of stringers and just a lot of hazards and dangers. So my whole life, I generally avoided the river. I certainly would go down to Lotus and Coloma, which are some of our local towns, and um, sit on the river bank and do that sort of thing. And it's always beautiful um, and peaceful, incredibly serene. And I've definitely fished down at the river, but not spent a lot of time in the actual water. And so I preface that to tell you this, which is that we are huge outdoors people. <laughs> so, um, Literally, you know, in August, 100 miles off the coast of Southeast Alaska, avid wake border. A matter of fact, tried wake skating last weekend. Um, so fishing, boating, wakeboarding, water sports galore, you know, consider myself to be an incredibly strong swimmer. I grew up uh, with a swimming pool, so i um, been swimming my whole life and um, generally not afraid of water and water sports. But when it comes to the river, I definitely have a, I want to say, I want to say it's a pretty rational respect for the river. Um, it's not this irrational fear per se, but it's definitely one of those things where I've grown up knowing that it is a powerful force of nature that is not to be reckoned with. <laughs> um, so eight years ago, actually it was almost 10 years ago now that I moved back up on the divide from San Diego and I reconnected with a friend of mine from high school and her and I decided that it would be fun. And this was pre-kids to, uh, to go tubing on the river. She lived in Coloma at the time and it seems like a really fun thing to do. So we got the river tubes and I was kind of coming up from SoCal kind of just 
distant or disconnected from my fears of the river because I hadn't really been around the river in many years. Um, the rivers I'd been around were ones in San Diego that were relatively um, lazy and, and fun and things like that down in Southern California area. Relatively quote unquote safe rivers. So uh, we got the tubes and we went down to the river and immediately we were stopped by a ranger who said, you cannot go in the river without a personal flotation device. And we kind of looked at each other and we were like, yeah, duh, that's, that's dumb. Why, why wouldn't we have a life jacket on? Um, but it was one of those things that, you know, we were looking to have fun and didn't make our minds. So we went and got life jackets. Um, and we went back and began our float of the river. And it was a really pleasant experience. The water level was very low and it was very late in the season. So the water was pretty warm. Um, and I would say warm and by no means is it like 75 degrees or something like that. It's still very cold, but it wasn't frigid. Um, but the way that the American river works is that especially for recreation downstream, which would be Folsom Lake, they let out water upstream, which is very cold and closer to the higher elevations and things like that. So it just so happened that we got lucky that it was, a you know, kind of a lower mellow, the river wasn't rushing day and we had a really pleasant experience. So it was, it was fun. I would say it was fun. And then a few years later, we it might have even just been one year later, we decided to go back. And by this point, my son was one. So I guess it was probably two years later, we decided to go back. And um, we weren't paying attention to anything about the levels of the river or anything like that, because we'd had a great experience before. So again, it didn't make our mind to think that it could be incredibly more dangerous. So we had our life jackets and we had our tubes and we hopped in the river and started our float and everything was very peaceful and very fun, but the river was moving a lot, lot more rapidly. And we got to a bend in the river before the Lotus Bridge, for those of you local listeners, in front of the Ponderosa Resort. And for the most part, where we put in, which is in Coloma by the Coloma Bridge, and where we were getting out, which is Lotus Park, is considered to be a relatively quote-unquote safe part of the river. There's just not a lot of really crazy rapids or anything like that. And so <coughs> we went ahead and um, we're floating down and we're like immediately noticing, first of all, our legs are like numb. It is way colder than it was the first time we floated the river and it is way faster than the first time that we floated the river. But we kept on keeping on and we got to that part right before the bridge in front of the Ponderosa Resort and my friend flipped out of her raft and she was swirling around underneath me and I saw her head underneath the mesh of my raft. And then in the process of trying to reach over to grab her, I flipped out of my raft and we both wound up in the same washing machine situation where literally um, absolute no control over your physical movement whatsoever. This river is ripping you around like you are a little cloth. And um, she managed to pop out and grab onto something on an island and that was right there where these rapids were. And then she grabbed me by my life jacket a few moments later and pulled me out. And people were on the side of the riverbank screaming at us and we were both completely pale, frozen, and petrified. 
Um, it was the first time in my life that I felt a complete fear of death. Like I really, truly felt like I was going to die. I am an incredibly strong swimmer. I had on a life jacket, but that was nothing. It paled in comparison to the power of the river and the situation that we were in being out of the boat and with all of the granite boulders underneath. It it was one of those moments where you go into fight, flight, or freeze. You have your full adrenaline pumping, but there's like not a damn thing you can do. Like you're just trying to use your rational mind to think about what you need to do next, but you're so cold and it's all moving so fast and it is almost impossible. And if she probably hadn't popped out onto the bank where she did and was able to grab onto something and then didn't grab me, I don't know that I would even be here to tell this story. And so shortly after this experience and, um, and having a young son and having, um, more people perish in the American river, a couple of friends and I decided, uh, we had a nonprofit that we'd created that was really awesome. It's called divide for the kids. And if you are local, check us out. Um, we do all sorts of fundraisers to raise money for different sorts of local programs for kids in need. And, um, we are a division of ready by 21 divide ready by 21. And so one of the things that we decided to start was an annual water awareness program. The kids growing up on the divide are surrounded by water and basic water knowledge is sometimes lacking. Even just that healthy respect for the river is sometimes lacking. You know, it's hot, it's a hundred degrees and you think it's a great way to cool off. Um, and maybe it is, um, if you're doing things right and being safe about it. So we started the water awareness program. And for years I have spent, um, with Eldorado search and rescue going to all the different schools and educating them about specifically the Alpine lakes up here, which are very cold and the American river. I've watched and participated in at the assemblies, um, the search and rescue process where, you know, it's like feet up, um, feet first down the river, feet up, lay on your back. And that, you know, like all that kind of logical stuff. I've been through all of these safety programs. Well, last weekend we got invited to go back and tube the American river for a birthday party. And it seems to, it seemed to me like I had spent the last, however many years telling my son, like whenever he'd fall off his bike or something to get back on, you know? Um, and to me, it seemed like you know, I had that experience and yes, it was very scary, but I do think that this portion of the river can be, um, can be a safer portion of the river. And I was going to be going with a large group. And so it made sense to me that I would, um, go ahead and float again and do it again. Even though after I got out of the river that day, I'd said never, ever, ever, ever again, will I ever go on the American river? Never. So I uh, got a tube and um, we were going with a large group, a bunch of couples, and we put in at the Coloma Bridge. But unfortunately, the single tube that I had had brought um, didn't have the plug. That's how long it had been since I used it. I lost the plug. So I went on a double raft with my sister-in-law and we put in and it was immediately freezing. And I don't mean like... 
oh, it's kind of chilly when you first jump in a swimming pool, but you're going to warm up. I mean, legs turning blue, red, (laughs) numb, could not feel my feet. And I had this moment when we got in the water that I was like, I don't want to do this. And one of the things that I do know about fear is that if you are in that space already, when you get started of having fear, you're much more likely to make mistakes or to not think clearly, to not think rationally. Because the whole point of fight, flight, or freeze is human survival. It's not rational thought. It's not, let me inspect this situation and think logically about it. It's everything in your power to survive. So I started off the trip feeling fearful. Actually, I was really feeling fearful the day before because it'd been so many years and my last experience was so bad. Kind of like if you take a bad fall on a bike, it would be hard to get back on your bike and just not have that fear that you're going to tumble again and hurt yourself. It's natural. So we started down the river with a big group of people and her and I in a two-person raft and she'd never been on the river before. And so um, her knowledge of like how to maneuver through the rapids and things like that was limited as well. And we ended up, because of the poor maneuverability of the two-person tube, we ended up high-siding on a rock. And um, she went up on the rock. And then as we came down the rock, the raft got a tear in it. So now we're through the third set of rapids with a deflating raft. And while the river was quote-unquote calm at this point, the rapids that I originally fell out of my raft in and got stuck in um, were coming up really fast. So the raft is sinking super, super fast. And I'm telling her, I don't want to do this. I need to get out. I need to get out. And she um, (laughs) ended up, my brother backpedaled and she jumped on his raft. And so my raft, um, now a single person deflating on a two person raft, um, was completely sinking under the water. And it was, it was basically like a big sail ripping me rapidly down the river. And obviously my last experience, um, being out of the boat, immediately my, my whole body, went into full panic, full, full blown adrenaline pupils dilating, you know, adrenaline pumping through the muscles, appetite suppressing the whole deal. I'm in full blown panic and I'm well aware I'm in panic and I'm well aware that nothing good comes of being in this space. And I want to get the fuck out of the river. And so, um, but in eyeing this bend that I'm going around, there's only one spot that I could get out. Ironically, it was some stairs down to the river. And, um, but the chances that I would make it over to that edge of the riverbank and latch onto something were very small because I'm in the middle of the river. (laughs) And so I'm feeling the, I'm just feeling completely, utterly out of control all of my emergency response system on high alert, full guard. And, um, I was trying to calm myself down. I was trying to tell myself, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Um, but my fight or flight is saying, get the fuck out of the river. You're going to die. (laughs) So I see my husband backpedaling and he picks me up on his raft and, um, we're trying to hold on to the two person raft that is now fully deflated. And he says, let it go. You're going to be okay, but you've got to, you've got to just 
you know, focus. You've got to be here with me because he could see I was losing my shit. (laughs) And so I'm sitting on a two person raft now or on a one person raft now with two people. Worst situation, in my opinion, about ready to go down these rapids that I've been down once before and nearly died in. And I'm telling him, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. And I want to get out. And he's like, we can't get out. We couldn't get out. Guys, it's hard to explain this, but the river is moving so freaking fast. It's really hard to explain unless you've witnessed it or been a part of it. And so we go through the rapids and I see... And, and we crash into a rock and shove off and we're kind of okay. And I see my sister-in-law fall out of the raft with my brother and she is heading headfirst down the river and she is screaming his name. And I'm like, she's not okay. She's not okay. And I, and I realized there's absolutely nothing I can do to help her. Nothing I can do to help her. And I'm completely afraid for ourselves. I'm completely afraid for them. And at um, some point I see my brother who's six foot five, 200 plus pounds, like big dude, grab her and they manage to make it out. And I am going downstream and I jump out to try to make it to shore at this point because this is the spot where we're stopping and the river is pulling me. Oh, and we reconnected with the two-person raft and I'm holding on to it to try to get it out of the river and it is sucking me downstream. So I finally just let it go and let it just make its way down to Folsom Lake, Um, which I'm not thrilled to say we littered, but it was that or get sucked down the river with it. And um, at that point, we... I started to try to swim against the current, cutting across the river to make it to the riverbank. And I see um, some of our friends and they're just yelling, stand up. And I got close enough to where I could put my feet down and walk out. And I was completely shaking. Um, It was one of those things where if you experience it ever, you realize that the force of mother nature is just so insanely more powerful than you and it's it's really humbling but it's also completely terrifying and somebody said to me when I got out of the river they said you were gonna be fine you would have just floated downstream and popped out at the bridge and guys like honestly in my mind I know that's not always the case like people die People get stuck, their foot gets stuck underneath a boulder and they go under and that water comes up over and they drown and it happens that fast. It's, it's not, it's not as peaceful as the idea of, oh, I'll just float downstream and pop out when the water's a little calmer, especially not the way the river was rushing the day that we were in it, which was that they had just dumped a bunch of water out from upstream and it was cold and fast. So, you know, it's, it's this irrational emotion, emotional state that you're thrust into from a rational place of fear. And it can be very confusing and it can be very complicated and it can be especially hard when you have somebody telling you, you would have been fine. All you would have needed to do is put your feet up and float and you would have been fine. But the reality is, that's not true. You could smash your head on a rock and yeah, you'd be floating, but you'd still take on a ton of water and then you're not able to control your body. 
So I don't think it's always, you know, everybody's perspectives are different of people's fears. I know that sometimes my son has these fears of doing things that I know are incredibly safe, um, incredibly reasonable for him to do, uh, like such as, um, we were doing a water slide. It was a kid water slide. It wasn't even an adult water slide. It was a kid water slide at the park. And he was so afraid to do it. And I really wanted to encourage him to do it because I was like, you're going to be fine. But then my husband made the point, like, if he's that afraid, he's probably going to do something silly and he is probably going to hurt himself. So don't make him do it. But but that's kind of one of those things where everybody's perception of fear is different. Everybody's perception of, you know, like I could see a spider and be like, it's no big deal. Just squash it. And somebody else could be like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Look at that black widow. I'm terrified. Oh my God. I don't want to get close to it. Our fears are all different and they should all be accepted and reasonable. But I want to talk to you guys a little bit about how we overcome fear. And I'm going to take a break before I do that. But There's one more thing I want to tell you, and that is that we went back down the river again. I don't know why we did that. I think I wanted to have a better experience in a single tube. And I went down, and this time I stayed close to a friend of mine who had rafted the river many, 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 many times, and I was in my own raft. And she really helped kind of guide, like, come, you know, start paddling to the left, start paddling to the right, so that, um, you know, I wouldn't get myself in situations that were yucky and she could read the river a lot better. And also she could tell like, this is going to swing you around this way. So you need to come over here and that sort of thing. And I think that there is something to be said about going, I think going in a river raft with a bunch of people wearing helmets, having throw bags, having paddles, having a river guide who knows how to read the river, who is trained in in that is probably okay. But guys, I'm straight up going to say, I don't think it's safe to go down the American river on a tube. I'm just going to put it out there. And I know people disagree with me. I know people say, Oh, you're fine. I, I floated it a million times. Just fine. I think it's playing with fire. I think you're waiting for something to happen. Those river tubes are not made for the immense force that is the American river. They're not made for the granite boulders. They're not made for the stringers. They're not made for the cold. And, um, just the cold alone, you know, on those rafts, your butt is in the freaking water. Your feet are in the freaking water. When you're in those two, when you're in the rafts that are the actual river rafts, your body is on a boat out of the water. So you're already a leg up because you're not freaking frozen while you're floating down. If, even if you want to swim when you can barely breathe and your body can barely move because there's no blood circulation, you're not, you're not helping your odds. (laughs) You're not helping your odds. Um, But before I get to the part about how to overcome fear, I just want to say that um, when we went down the second time, my sister-in-law went back down on a single tube as well. But this time it was more of like that donut style tube and it didn't have the mesh bottom and it didn't have a headrest on it. And she found herself in the exact same position, that same rapid right in front of the resort. Um, she hit a, she shoved off of a rock because she was about to smash into it and it flipped her tube over. She went head first under the water in the exact spot where my friend and I almost died a few years before. And, um, she came, she, po- she eventually popped out of it. So it's a washing machine. So describe it. It is, um, basically like a big, powerful eddy. The, the way the, the way the rocks are underneath the water there and the way that the water is swirling around 
you just picture you as this little bobbing stick and you just get spun like a tornado in there and you can just not get out until it thrusts you out. If you're lucky, it thrusts you out. If not, you're fucking stuck under there and you're done. But it did pop her out and my other brother was there and he says, you're going to be okay. Put your feet back. You're going to be okay. And she ended up um, seeing his face and calming herself down enough to float down the river. Um, And she managed to make it out safely. Um, But she was completely scratched up, really shaken up. And she said, never, ever, ever, ever again. Once you feel the power of something so outside of your control like that, maybe if you're an adrenaline junkie, you're like, woohoo, let's do it again. I want to fight that. I guess there are a lot of people that do that, but with better tools, better prepared, (laughs) better, better things um, to protect you and keep you alive and make it a more pleasurable experience to give you better odds. So I went home that night after watching her go through the washing machine the second time where I almost died and I could not sleep. I could not sleep. I was out of the threat. I was no longer in the space of fearing for my life, but my irrational thoughts started completely going crazy. They started rationally thinking of all the people that I know that have perished in the river, picturing their faces and picturing what they might have, that, that fear and the, and the just horrible experience that they must have had at the end of their life while they were in the river. And I started thinking about my son because when we were on the river that day, I saw so many young children on tubes and thinking, oh my God, what if he tries to do this when he's in high school? Oh my God, you know, just completely, my mind was completely spinning a mile an hour, a mile, mile a minute on all of the things that could have happened. And so my anxiety, my heart just completely all jacked up. And here it is. That was Saturday. I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday and I still have not fully recovered. As a matter of fact, last night, I'm the kind of person who I hit the pillow and I am out. And last night... I could not sleep. And my husband said, are you still awake? Like an hour after we'd gone to bed. And I said, yeah. And he's like, that's not like you. I said, I can't get the river out of my mind. Every time I closed my eyes, all I could picture was horrible things. Okay, I'm going to take a break. And we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about how to overcome fear. Welcome back after our little break, and I am ready to tell you guys about how to overcome fear. So you've heard all about my rational fear, and I want to spend just a second and talk a little bit more in depth about the difference. So rational fear versus irrational fear. 
The important thing to know is that both of these fears are rooted in rationality. They both come from a space where the body sensed danger at some point and stored all of that micro information to grab onto quickly in the future to save you for the purpose of human survival. Now, a lot of times after we peel back the layers of the onion, we start to realize that these initial threats were not um, quite life-threatening. So, but let's get some examples of irrational fear versus rational fear. So rational fear might be um, being afraid of dying, right? At some point, we are going to die. (laughs) That is a proven fact. So that would be a rational fear. Um, Another rational fear might be um, being afraid of getting sick because we get sick. I mean, I think almost everybody gets sick at some point in their life, even if it's just um, an allergic reaction or a rash or, um, you know, the basic head cold. Um, Another rational fear might be that uh, you're going to... uh, So let me give you this example. You're in the middle of the ocean in a small boat and there's a storm. You might be afraid you're going to drown. That's a rational fear. Perhaps you are in a old, old building with a rickety elevator and it comes to a pause too long and you're afraid you're going to get stuck in the elevator. That would be a rational fear. Some irrational fears might be um, being afraid of elevators that, you know, all elevators and there's a lot of perfectly safe elevators or perhaps um, being afraid of drowning when you never go in the ocean or in the in a pool or in a bath or anything. And so you're afraid to even turn on the shower water because you're afraid you're going to drown. Those would be some examples of irrational fear. So, um, irrational fear is after there's been an awareness and a reassurance that it's not a dangerous event or situation. Rational fear is, um, when there is an imminent danger or imminent threat to your life and it's there to protect you. Um, you should respect and listen to it. Um, but the important thing to know with rational fear is that your threshold might be different than others. So for example, um, a rational, a rational fear might be floating down the American river. And for some people that may not be fearful at all. That might not be something that triggers any kind of fear for them. So the threshold for everybody's rational fear is different, but all rash, all fear, whether rational or irrational is always rooted in some experience that you have had that was real life. That was truly threatening. At least your brain perceived it to be so in the moment. And it's important to know um, that our body uses all of our senses to sense danger. So even though we may think we're fine, um, our mind, our our nose, our our um, intuitive senses, which some people call the sixth sense, they're all picking up on little teeny tiny things around us, little things that we see, um, little things that we smell, little things that we hear that maybe our cognitive um, brain is not picking up on. So sometimes I'll give you an example of this. Um, My son and I were out blackberry picking two weekends ago and we were on a trail and it was out by the airport and um, which is kind of in a you know, heavily wooded area where we live. And it's a very small, 
um, airport, just a little teeny tiny strip. And there's a trail that goes around the backside of the airport and very few people take it. Um, and sometimes during the year, it's a very clear cut path. Like it's very clear cut trail. And this particular time that we were on this trail, I noticed, um, these are little things that my mind picked up on and I reflected on afterwards, but didn't really think about at the time is that the trail was not very well, um, utilized this time when we went, people hadn't been on it in a while. Um, I also, um, as, so as we were going through this trail, we were picking the blackberries and we were relatively far out. I would say about a half mile from, you know, any kind of people or anything like that down a tiny little trail covered in blackberry bushes on a hill slope. And at some point when we were blackberry picking, I just had this feeling and it's, and it's one of those, and you probably have felt something similar to this in your lifetime, a feeling in my gut that I was being watched. It was just like this weird, creepy feeling like, Ooh, we're being watched. That's not very logical because there's nobody around. I mean, this is there would be nobody on this trail, especially not nearby. But I said to my son, I think we're done blackberry picking for the day. And he was like, why? We haven't filled up our bucket. And I said, you know, I've just, I think it's, it's kind of hot. I think we need to get back to the car. And so he was kind of throwing a fit about it, but I didn't want to scare him with what I was feeling. But as we were going, I, I started to realize that, you know, there's probably a mountain lion around here. I, there's probably a mountain lion watching us. And so when I got back to the car, I said, you know, mommy just felt a little afraid out there. I didn't really have any protection. I didn't have any pepper spray or anything. And I just thought that maybe we should be safe about it and come back another time when we have some self-protection. I don't want to create unnecessary fear for him. But what I felt in the moment was just something wasn't right. And that is those spidey senses. It's the body sensing danger. And what probably happened is my nose probably smelled something different through the sweet smell of blackberry. And my eyes probably saw, or even maybe my touch, maybe I stepped in some scat. Um, And while I wasn't cognitively aware, while I didn't like go, oop, that's mountain lion shit, um, the other parts of my body must have been in tune picking up on this. And that is why I started to feel the sense of, you know, we need to go back to the car. It's not safe. So there are those, those kinds of fears where, you know, it's bordering on in between, like we're just on a trail and we're in a relatively safe area, you know, that kind of a thing. But, um, but the intuitive hits or the other parts of your body that are trained to pick up on danger back from when we were cavemen um we're like time for you to go and i think a lot of times as humans we don't listen to those those fears those are the ones that really um can keep us out of trouble so what happens with fear well it damages the hippocampus um the long and short of it so short circuits the response paths that ultimately cause us the anxiety over the long term so if we're continually exposed to fear cortisol is continually pumping through our body and we start to create a lot of physical problems for our for ourselves and that is what i've been experiencing since saturday is this inability to push through what was actually a rational fear um but had some irrational components to it because of the fact that I was in a large group and because of the fact that, you know, we, we had life jackets on and all these other things. But here's, here's what I want to say. 
If you are up against a rational fear, it is there to protect you. You need to respect it and you need to listen to it and you need to weigh out the risk. You need to say, is this, am I taking this, am I moving through this rational fear in the safest way that I possibly can? And I don't just mean safest way to protect yourself from death, but safest way to protect your emotional self as well. So, um, so how we confront fear or how we move through fear and how we face our fear in general is exposure. It's, um, it's to move through it. It's to confront it. It is to say, okay, irrational fear. I am going to experience you so that my brain stores event, all the details from this event in a better way than it stored it the first time. So I am going to move through this fear and I'm going to note that I come out and I don't die. I come out and I don't lose an arm. I come out and whatever it is. So I get sick, but I'm fine. I move through it. I'm okay. Um, Irrational fear might be, you know, when you're afraid to ride the roller coaster and then you ride the roller coaster and you're like, oh, I survived and that wasn't that big of a deal and it was only 30 seconds and millions of people ride roller coasters every day and I was perfectly okay. Same thing goes for elevators. Same thing goes for spiders. Like rationally when I think about this, like that's a little teeny tiny bug that I could squish with my big foot and survive just fine. <laughs> so um, it's it's this tricky space and what I really want to make sure that I get across is that there is a difference between irrational fear and rational fear but they're both rooted in rational thought. And the difference for you on how to move through them is to recognize what you can do to protect yourself moving forward from rational fear and to recognize what you can do to have a positive outcome for irrational fear. That's really the basis of it. So for me, with this situation with my son, where I'm up at night worried that he's going to, you know, be in the river when I'm not there as, you know, a teenager, the rational, the, the rational way to move through the fear would be to educate him about the river, which I'm doing and to calm myself down and say that, um, you know, the, the likelihood of him choosing to get in the river without a life jacket is very small, et cetera, et cetera. So coming up with these kind of counter thoughts that, are safe and respectful and help you move through it in a way where you know you are making safe choices and protecting yourself. And I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I think you're getting the idea. (laughs) And irrational fear, really the only thing to do there is to expose yourself to the fear. As long as you're not going to die, as long as it's really truly an irrational fear and there is no particular thing that is life-threatening, you got to do it. You got to move through it. You got to get back on the bike. You got to just tell yourself that you're not going to die and you got to expose yourself to it so that your brain can rewire those memories so that your brain can recapture that experience in a way that is not as frightening, in a way where you have a positive outcome, in a way where you go, you know what? I did that and I'm okay and I'm going to be okay. And then you do it again. But when it comes to the rational fear, the true fears that really are life-threatening, like Alex Honnold scaling a, you know, 4,000-foot mountain with no ropes, the only way to push through that is to make yourself, is to set yourself up 
for the safest way to move through that fear. And so if you're afraid of driving your car because you were in a car wreck with someone who perished or something like that, then it's it's being mindful to um, not drive while you're tired and wear your seatbelt always and maybe take it a little slower, you know, things like that, whatever you could do to prevent um, yourself from being in a life or death situation and set yourself up to have the safest, most positive outcome possible. But if we don't move through fear, if we don't reset, we are continually pumping that cortisol through our body and then we're hit with a slew of problems. So let's talk about some of the things that you can do when you've already been in a threatening situation and you're feeling still kind of that residual outcome. Um, the very first thing I recommend is journaling about it. Write down what the experience was. Write it out. Talk it out like I'm doing on this podcast. Share with people what your experience was. Have them provide some feedback to you. Um, And if you're just journaling, you know, share with yourself like, ooh, this was rational. Here's why. This is your rational thought. Here's why. Here's what I can do to protect myself in the future. So journaling can be a great tool. Another great tool can be just simply sitting in a quiet room and having a meditative moment, taking some deep breaths and processing through it, allowing your body to come back down to baseline from having all of that adrenaline pumping through your system. So just really taking it slow for a couple of days and not putting yourself in situations that are um, scary. Um, Unfortunately, some people live in countries that are, you know, riddled with these war zones where they're continually being exposed to real threat, to real rational fear of death. And um, they don't have a safe space to come back down to baseline. And so then they're experiencing all of the fallout that can come from that, like heart attacks and um, weakened heart and et cetera, et cetera. Because the other thing is when we continue on in a space of fear, when we continue on with our day-to-day in an elevated state of fight or flight, we're not responding in the healthiest way that we can to situations. So it's important that we do take that time to reset. And it's also important that if you are in a current state, like I was explaining earlier with my son, being afraid of the water slide to the point where he was just over the top, you know, crying, shaking, please don't, I don't want to do it. It's better if you just don't do it then. Don't expose yourself at a time where you are in that state because you're probably going to make a mistake. Something probably is going to happen because you're not able to think logically and think rationally. But... Remember, our body can sense danger. It's there to help us survive. Everybody's threshold is different. It's important that you recognize that maybe your friend you think is having an irrational fear, but that fear is very real for them. And the best thing you can do is acknowledge, validate, and respect where they're at. Meet them where they're at. It may not be life-threatening for you, but it may feel life-threatening for them because of a past experience that they've had. And fear is very real. All of the emotions and the physical body response that comes from it is very real. It is there for the purpose of human survival. But the only way to get through fear is to move through fear. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you guys next week on the BU Find Happy podcast. And always we recommend, we recommend, we appreciate your likes, your comments, hitting the subscribe button. And certainly if you have some stuff that you want to share about fear, please, please, please leave it, uh, leave us a comment or connect with me on Instagram. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.
This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. <laughs> For more inspiration, check out our links. Whoa, is that? Bye-bye. Bye-bye.